Tucker Carlson's head writer, canceled. Mr. Reagan. All right, so apparently Tucker Carlson had an important writer for his show by the name of Blake Neff. So recently, Blake Neff was forced to resign from his position at Tucker Carlson tonight because he was caught anonymously posting uh, what was characterized as racist, misogynist rants on some kind of a forum. But of course, this is all been this has all been blown away out of proportion because the left, as usual, has lost its mind. I think that the reason that the left went so excited, got so excited about this, and went so crazy and posted all this stuff and you know, posted all these news stories and reported this so intensely, because it wasn't really that big of a deal, was because Tucker Carlson Tonight is a very important show for conservative America. And in fact, Tucker Carlson himself is considered one of our kind of biggest celebrities on the right. And so I actually think what they're doing, and and they've done this in some stories, is try to somehow connect Tucker Carlson, you know, implicate him Uh, in the wrongdoing of this guy, Blake Neff. His words, his racist rhetoric, doesn't it line up with the monologues that he was writing for Tucker Carlson? Uh, They sure do. First of all, I'd just like to say, I don't actually think Blake Neff did anything wrong. I don't think he should have been fired. But secondly, even if he had done some kind of questionable things, blaming Tucker Carlson for that is absurd. I mean, there's no, you can't blame Tucker Carlson for something somebody else said. However, what Blake Neff said was not that inflammatory. It's just that anytime you say anything that has anything to do with race whatsoever, the, or, or, you know, women or, you know, any, any, any one of the protected groups of the left, they'll say, oh, you're an oppressive white racist. You're a, you're a racist, right? That's the, that's what the left likes to likes to claim. That's their only real argument that they have anymore against us at all. If you challenge them on any position, the response isn't, well, this is why I think this is a good idea politically, or this is why this makes sense. It's, you're a racist and therefore I'm right. That's the left's position on everything. And so if you can, if you can somehow make Tucker Carlson appear to be a racist, then the, you know, then the left feels like that they've won, that they've somehow proven their case that white Republicans are all racist. You know what the keto diet is. It's the hottest diet out right now, and it does wonders for boosting your metabolism, elevating energy, and enhancing mental focus. In fact, here's a little secret about Mr. Reagan. I am currently doing keto. Now, it can be a difficult diet to maintain because you have to sacrifice your favorite carbs like bread, pasta, and fruit. But I may have the solution for you. I've been taking two scoops of Keto Elevate... This is the stuff right here, and I really do take this. Two scoops of Keto Elevate every day, and the way I take it is I put it in my protein shake. Just add a scoop of this to any drink, and you'll be giving your body the active ingredients you need to support a ketogenic state. Keto Elevate uses the highest quality C8 MCT oil powder available. C8 MCT oil benefits you with less hunger and fewer cravings. It increases brain function, clarity, and focus. It improves the metabolism. It gives you incredible natural energy levels and much, much more. C8 MCT oil is universally recognized as one of the truly beneficial supplements if you're on keto. And you should really do your own research. Don't take my word for it. Just go look it up. You'll see a million articles about how good this stuff is. Now, there's 
C6, C8, C10, and C12 medium chain triglyceride oil derived from coconut oil. C8, though, this is the most effective at increasing your metabolic activity. It's basically high-octane MCT oil. And this stuff, Keto Elevate, this is the real deal. Get yourself a bag of Keto Elevate. I highly recommend it. I really do. And as an added bonus, if you order today, they'll give you free shipping, free VIP live health and fitness coaching for life, and a free e-report on the top 14 ketogenic foods. Also, and this is very cool, for every order of Keto Elevate today, a nutritious meal will be donated to a hungry child in your honor. Click the link below or visit ketowithreagan.com and get your order in now. Reap the rewards that Keto Elevate can bring to your life right now and take advantage of the current deal, 51% off and free shipping in the United States. That's ketowithreagan.com. All right, now the way they're trying to get Tucker Carlson is they're saying that he failed to condemn Blake Neff. First, what Blake wrote anonymously was wrong. We don't endorse those words. They have no connection to the show. Mm, The words were wrong. The words were wrong. He didn't say hateful. He didn't say racist. He didn't say they were uncalled for. All all the words were wrong. They fall short. Okay. Tucker Carlson on Friday night after uh, the story came out, he went online, uh, on air, sorry, and uh, condemned cancel culture. He had a whole segment of his show against cancel culture. He didn't directly address this, but he alluded to it. And he, uh, you know, attacked CNN, said particularly CNN is a force of cancel culture and made the argument that it's bad for society. Well, here's the thing. He did condemn Blake Neff. I do not condemn Blake Neff. And the way Tucker Carlson did it is he said, I think he said something like the guy, you know, he's a good guy, but he wrote these things and they're indefensible and they're wrong. So we had to, you know, he had to resign or whatever. Now, let me give you an example of what I think was probably the worst thing that Blake Neff wrote on this forum. Okay. In answering a question on the forum, which was, if you could get 50% off, if you get 50% off LASIK eye surgery from an African, a sub-Saharan African, uh, would you do it? Would you do the surgery? If it was a sub-Saharan African surgeon, right? And Blake Neff responded. Now, now there was some vulgar language. They used the N-word. They specifically said jet black N-word. Uh, but they were talking about sub-Saharan African specifically. And Blake Neff responded, and I will quote this, I wouldn't get LASIK from an Asian for free, so no. <laughs> and... I think that the question being asked, the use of the N-word does imply that the person asking the question was either racist or certainly wanted to be perceived as such in order to be provocative. I'll assume that he's racist. I don't know. You wouldn't probably use the N-word if you didn't want to be perceived that way, so let's just assume the guy asking the question was racist. Blake Neff responding to the question, saying, I wouldn't let an Asian do it for free. Now, to me, that's clearly a joke. I can't, he's obviously not referring to the IQ of Asians or their ability to perform surgery. They're obviously renowned as being brilliant people and often doctors. In fact, I've had a pretty severe surgery in my life and it was performed by an Asian man and I am incredibly grateful to him. He was brilliant and amazing. I don't think Blake Neff is racist against Asians. I think the reason he said that was because LASIK eye surgery, right, the eye, there is a kind of racial, you know, difference between Asians and white people. Asians have more 
you know, what is totally politically incorrectly referred to as, you know, a squinty eye or a slanted eye, and the white people have what is referred to as a round, rounder eye, right? And so there are sometimes racial jokes against Asians about the eye shape. There are sometimes racial jokes against white people about the eye shape amongst Asian cultures. It's a little bit of ribbing, a little bit of teasing. Nothing particularly horrifying about it. It's just, it's just joking around. Now here's the thing. You can take any racial comment that anyone says at all and say, well, that person, that shows that that person's a racist. I don't think that it does. I think that you can interpret it that way, or you could interpret it in the best way, which is to say, well, that person's not a racist, and they know that, that this is a provocative thing to say, and that's why it's funny, which is, I think, the most sensible conclusion and most often true. Oh, I should say, by the way, we're in beautiful Solvang, California, which is a Danish village that was established, I believe, in 1911 to emulate the villages of Denmark. And I think they've done an absolutely beautiful job. Highly recommend visiting here. All right. But look, my point is, you can assume the worst of people and you can assume the best of people. I don't think it's rational to assume the worst of a white person making a joke about race. Because there's just so few legitimate racists out there, you know, white Americans who are legitimately racist. The most rational thing to do is to assume that they are joking and that they're not racist at all, okay? I, in fact, I would think, I, I imagine that 99% of racial jokes that the left deems to be quote-unquote racist, I think you could let them go. I think we could let go of all that, all the hate, all the division, just by assuming that a racial joke is not racist, that the person isn't racist who tells a racial joke. But in America, oftentimes we do not let these things go. We don't let them go. Why? Why don't we ever let racial jokes go? Why do we always have to point that to the person and say, you're a racist, and have them canceled? Well, it's because of Marxists, it's because of snowflakes, and it's because of Karens, right? The Marxists want to divide the country, want to destroy the country, want to create division. The snowflakes want to feel oppressed. Oh, I'm, I'm a victim. I'm a victim. You've got to, I'm, so, I'm such a good, innocent, perfect person, and you're a bad person, so people should, should have sympathy for me. Some people thrive on other people's sympathy toward them. It's a little bit of a sickness, I think. Those are the snowflakes. And then the Karens, the Karens are scolds, what they used to call scolds, right? Now we call them Karens. They're the people who want to point to you and say, with righteous indignation, with a moral authority, and say, you're evil and I'm good. Right? It doesn't really matter if you're really evil or they're really good. They just want to have that moral authority. They want to have the power over you to say, I know what's best. You're a bad person. I'm better than you. And I'm going to scold you and tell you I'm better than you. These are, these are the three categories of people who make it impossible for us to just let a racial joke go. Now, let me dig a little bit more into the Marxists wanting to divide us. I, I actually think the left kind of, to, to some extent, consists of three types of Democrat, right? Leftists. You got the Marxists, the true Marxists. Right? And they know, and the true Marxists, they know that when, that if the country ever fell from constitutional republic in which we live, if this, if this government ever fell and Marxism rose, right, these Marxists know who would take over. They know who would run the country. They know it would be an authoritarian state. And they know that all the AOCs and Nancy Pelosi's and all these people, they would probably be shot. All right. So they're, 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 the, they're the ones who know what's up, right? They're, I think, usually sort of 
wealthy globalists that are trying to push the Marxist agenda on America to try to break America down. Then you have the useful idiots. The useful idiots are the true believers, those who genuinely believe. Like, a lot of academics are like this. A lot of the people in the media are like this. They're the useful idiots. They're the ones going out and promoting Marxist changes to the country because they really genuinely believe, stupidly, that if America became a Marxist state, it would be better for everyone. It would be better for the blacks. It would be better for the gays. It would be better for women. It wouldn't be better for any of those people, I assure you, but the media thinks so, and certain politicians like AOC, I think, believe that. And then you've got the politicians, right? And I don't just mean politicians like Nancy Pelosi, but also just people who are like the heads of feminist groups and stuff like that. These kinds of people push Marxist ideas, not because they believe in Marxism, not because they want to destroy the country, because they want power for themselves. They're the greedy ones. They know that if they target certain demographic groups and, pr and promote this sort of Marxist agenda and incite hatred and vitriol and division, that they can get votes because they'll say, we're for you, we're on your side, we're on the side of the blacks, we're on the side of the LGBT community. And so they try to get as many votes from those groups as they possibly can. This is an old trick of Democrats to, to get certain voting groups. That's why they target the unions, the union vote. Democrats are all about the vote, collecting as many votes as they can. Democrat politicians are all about power, just remember. But here's the thing about racial jokes and talking about race openly and just being cool about it and not being a friggin' moron and just assuming everybody's racist who says some racial thing. Racial jokes can bring people together, right? Think about Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle wrote some of the most racially charged jokes in the history of the country. You watch that show and if, you, if that show was written by a white person, that person would have been, pro I mean, maybe imprisoned Right? I mean, it would have gone, gone pretty far. Like, if, if the Dave Chappelle show had been written by a white person, they would have just instantly been labeled a racist and demonized forever, probably never worked again in Hollywood. And, like, why? Why is it that only a black person can write those jokes? To me, that's stupid. There's this idea that, well, we, well that's, you know, we know that that's our lived experience or that's, you know, that's, that's a Dave Chappelle's truth or some baloney like that. Look, if Dave Chappelle can write it and it's funny, why can't a white guy write it and it's funny? Right? It, does, it shouldn't matter what the race of the person doing. If the, if the person's genuinely not racist or just trying to make you laugh, just laugh. I mean, just go with it, right? But here's the thing. Did anybody watch the Dave Chappelle show and the racially charged comedy and go, oh, you know what? That makes me really hate black people, that Dave Chappelle show. No, nobody said that. You know what they said? They said, wow, I respect that guy. He's a brilliant comedian. He's a brilliant writer. He's a genius. Okay? That did not divide the country. That united the country around a brilliant mind, a brilliant comedic mind that made everyone laugh. In fact, we've come a long way from, I think, the peak of racial unity, which was the 70s. A lot of people might not think that. A lot of people might think, oh, the 70s were actually racially charged. There were a lot more racists back then. I actually agree with that. I actually agree with that. Why do I think that our peak sort of like anti-racist era was the 70s? Because we had just come out of the civil rights movement. Everybody felt like there was a victory and there was a push to unite everyone. Once the 80s happened and you had the cocaine epidemic, you had violent black gangs, people started to fear black crime in the inner city, and it got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So things kind of went downhill from there in, in, and uh, 
degraded, I guess, racial relations started to degrade. But there was a really strong effort in the 70s to bring everyone together, and it was a beautiful time. I want to play you a joke. A joke is a sort of a comedic scene from the movie Escape from Alcatraz. This is with uh, Clint Eastwood. And nobody would put this in a movie today. Why not? Because everyone would say, oh, that's racist. That's a racist scene. I can't believe a white person said that. That's horrible. That's evil. But I'll tell you what, you, you watch this movie, this is one of the most beautiful moments in any movie with regard to two people of, of different races having just a simple conversation. Now, uh, a bit of uh, backstory here. Uh, Clint Eastwood and this guy that he's talking to had become very good friends uh, in this prison before this conversation happened. So they knew each other, they were kind of buddies, and they're just basically giving each other crap. Let's watch the clip. Where you going, Cracker? Eight. Something special about those steps? The higher you sit, the more status you got. So we kind of play king of the mountain. And you're king. Yeah. Now, I figure there's two reasons why you didn't sit down on my step. Either you're too scared, or you just hate niggas. Now, which is it, boy? You're too scared? Hmm? Ah. Uh, I just hate niggas. I love that scene. That is such a beautiful scene. Clint Eastwood is awesome. The movie's awesome. If you haven't seen Escape from Alcatraz, I, I recommend it. I think it's a great film. It's, so, it's sort of like Shawshank Redemption, but a million times better. And I know a lot of people that will think that's heresy, but Shawshank Redemption actually copied this film, Escape from Alcatraz. So watch Escape from Alcatraz, brilliant movie. Now, I'm considering writing a book, and the book is going to be called The Things We're Not Allowed to Say. And one of the chapters I want to write is entitled, Asians Have Squinty Eyes. And people are going to be like, whoa, that's, that's racist, that's racist. It's not racist. There's two reasons why it's not racist. One, I'm not a racist. Two, it's true. It's true. It's a true reality of the world. And the fact that we can't say it is absurd. We got to pretend that Asian people's eyes and white people's eyes look the same. That's so stupid. Okay? My best friend's Asian. Right? Would, I be friend, would, would he be my best friend if I hated Asian people? That doesn't make any sense. They're like, oh, you say you got a black friend, so you're not racist. Yes, that is what that means. That is exactly what that means. Because you wouldn't have black friends if you were racist. That does, a, doesn't make any sense. Leftists are crazy. Okay, They say crazy things. They have crazy philosophy. It doesn't make any sense because the Marxists are trying to divide the country and they brainwash them. Anyway, in Asian culture, I think it's in Chinese. It might be all Asians. In Hawaii, I know this is true. They call white people round eye. Are you offended by round eye? If you're a white person out there, think about this. Are you offended by being called round eye? I'm certainly not. I don't think there's anything offensive about that. That's just like, okay, you have squintier eyes, I have rounder eyes, you call me round eye. So, but we can't call Asian people, we can't say they have squinty eyes. It's stupid. It's a stupid thing. Now, the reason I wanted to write this chapter 
wasn't just because I wanted to write a provocative thing, although that's always fun, is because I wanted to talk in the chapter about this specific issue of comedy and how we should be able to recognize each other's differences, make jokes about those differences, have fun with those differences, uh, uh, without being, you know, judgmental or anything like that. But we're not even allowed to talk about this stuff, and it's so stupid. We're not even allowed to recognize it. By the way, speaking of things that Asians call us, the Chinese have a term for us called guai lo, which I believe means, like, the white ghost or something like that. It's, it's like a, it's or the white devil or something like that. It's like a basically calling foreigners demons, guaylo. Um, so yeah, I, I actually don't even really have a problem with that. I know it's supposed to be an offensive term. I don't care. I'm good with it, all right? Like I said, 99% of the things that people say are racist and condemn as evil, we can just let them go, all right? So with Blake Neff, with Blake Neff, we need to assume the best. We need to assume the best. We should not assume the worst. Should he have been fired? Should he have been canceled? Should he have resigned? Whatever. No, he absolutely should not have. It was an absurdity. Because you know what? I don't think he's a racist. I think Blake Neff is a good person. And I think he is a valuable contributor to the political conversations that we need to have in America. So look, if you're a network and you want to hire Blake Neff on as a writer, or Blake Neff, if you're watching this now, you want a job somewhere, but you need a host to write for, I'm your guy. I will always stand beside you. Right? And I think that there's thousands of Americans who will as well, because we don't assume the worst of, of people. And I, I still think that you're a good man and that you deserve to work for a good company, writing good content, talking about the issues that matter in America. And I don't think writing a couple of cavalier jokes anonymously on a website should ever destroy anyone's entire career. So good luck, Blake Neff. And like I said, I'm going to stand beside you. I think almost everyone else will, yeah, at least conservative, people with sense in America. We need to be able to joke. We need to be able to talk about this stuff openly. And we can't just assume that anytime anybody brings up any racial difference between any of us, or makes a joke about one race or another, that that is somehow a sign of their racism. We don't, we don't assume that about, about black comics. Why do we assume that about any white person ever. All right, well, that's it for me. And remember, it's not that our liberal friends are ignorant. It's just that they know so much that is not so. Good night. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth.